Support for today's Heat Treat Radio episode is provided by High Pressure Heat Treatment, leading the renaissance of hot isostatic pressing. Get your free ebook today at www.heattreattoday.com/ebook. Welcome to Heat Treat Radio. I'm your host Bethany Funk, editor of Heat Treat Radio. We rejoin Mark Hemseth, Vice President of SuperIQ and Nitriding at Seco Vacuum Technologies, and Doug Glenn, publisher of Heat Treat Today, to figure out what the hardness processes are and what equipment is associated with each of them. This is the second of a three-part series on Hardness 101, so we encourage you to listen to the first part of the series and get the fundamentals on hardness, including what it is, through hardening, surface hardness, grades of steel, and more. Go to heattreattoday.com slash radio and click Mark Hemseth, part one. Now, let's jump into today's episode. We're here talking about uh, hardness as it deals, as it, as it pertains to uh, the, the metals world, metallurgy and things of that sort. Uh, so first off, Mark, welcome back. Thank you, Doug. Nice to be here. Yeah, it's uh, for the record. We're recording this thing right before Thanksgiving, day before Thanksgiving. So we, we've got turkey on the mind here. But uh, I've known Mark for many, many years. In fact, I would say a couple decades now. Uh, when he was with other companies and doing other things, very well-rounded person in the industry, able to speak intelligently about a lot of different stuff, including surface hardness, through hardness, that type of stuff. So last time we talked about what hardness was and why it's important. But I know afterwards, you and I had some conversations, Mark, and there were a couple of things I think we wanted to supplement onto that first episode. And one, one of the things had to do with hardness testing. So why don't you th- throw out what you were thinking about that? Yeah, thanks, Doug. I think on, on testing, the point here is that there are many scales uh, for testing because we have many different types of material with different hardness. And when we start getting into some of the other materials, it, it changes a little bit. So in the steel realm of things, The most typical is to use a diamond tip weight and try to indent the material. And based on the pressure it takes, we get a reading. Uh, For instance, a very thin layer may require a different type of test uh, because one style of test may not be set up to measure such a thin hardness. This is typical in something like nitriding and where you have a a white layer. Uh, Different types of uh, testing methodologies, there's the Brunel, Vickers, Rockwell, and new hardness testers, and, and, and there's a lot of other things out there as well. But in, in general, we are trying to test the surface hardness and then also the hardness as it, as it traverses through the material. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Super. And then I think the other thing that you and I were talking about just briefly was other, the other materials besides steels that were hardenable. Yes, and, and I'm not an expert on aluminum, but one of the materials that we talked about uh, is, is aluminum. And, and quite frankly, uh, Seco Warwick has a, a separate division just dedicated to aluminum because it is, it is different. So let's take a look at aluminum first. Aluminum is actually rather soft and has many other benefits, uh, uh, very commonly used in aerospace, and companies like Tesla are using it today almost predominantly for their cars. Uh, Just like in steels, it can get harder by using alloying elements. Uh, Most common alloying elements are copper, manganese, silicon, magnesium, zinc, and lithium. Hardening is typically by a precipitation or age hardening. Mm -hmm. Uh, Tempering is also very common. Okay, so not all aluminum alloys can be heat treated per se, 
but as I was mentioning, it, it is a whole different world and it requires a whole different set of expertise because it is kind of a unique uh, metal. Right, right, okay. So how about titanium? Uh, ti- titanium is an increasingly popular alloy. It is expensive mm-hmm. and it has very high strength to weight ratio. It's almost as light as aluminum, but much stronger and also has great resistance to corrosion. Titanium can be alloyed to add properties to the metal, and it can be nitrided at higher temperature, making a very thin, uh, hard layer that is gold in color, something that uh, I've done a little bit of in the past. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the other materials that you ask about are stainless steels, and this is also a whole different breed. Uh, Recently, uh, in the last, uh, I don't know, five, ten or so years, surface hardening is being applied with great success, and it's actually done at low temperatures to make a very hard surface and still retain the corrosion resistance. Mm -hmm. When when you harden stainless steels via nitriding at at the higher temperatures, you do get high hardness, but you lose corrosion resistance. Uh So they've made quite a bit of uh, inroads at the low temperature end of things, um, so-called S-phase hardening. Uh, Certain stainless steels, martensitic stainless steels, are actually hardenable by heating and quenching those have uh, commonly 11 to 17% chromium and no nickel, and they have a higher carbon, okay? Okay, yeah. And austenitic stainless steels, typically 300 series with nickel, do not harden by heating and quenching. Uh, these steels, as I mentioned, can be surface hardened. Mm-hmm. Uh, Feritic stainless steels, which is another breed, are commonly a lot of the 400 series stainlesses have 10 to 30, 30% chromium, uh, and they do not harden by normal means. And then we have some special so-called alloys, 17.4 pH, and some of the other ones are hardenable by aging. So I wanted to go through some of that. There's a lot okay. there, uh, but just to discuss uh, all the variety of uh, different steels out there. Different materials it could be. Okay, any others before I move on? That's all I got for you. <laughs> <laughs> all right, super. All right, so let's let's dive into these uh, five different hardening processes, which we want to talk about to give the listeners a little better sense of exactly what the process is and how they might differ from one another. So the five we're going to cover, Mark, are carburizing, nitriding, carbonitriding, FNC or Friedrich nitrocarburizing, and LPC, meaning low pressure carburizing. Okay, so let's start. Let's go back and just start with probably. I, I I think it's the most popular one, right? Most common, which is carburizing. You agree? Yeah, I would tend to agree, especially by pounds. Yes. Okay. And so let's talk about what. First off, what is it? I think we covered this last time, but just very briefly, let's talk about what carburizing is. Uh, very briefly, carburizing is the addition of carbon, which adds hardness to the surface, mm-hmm. and as as I probably mentioned before, it needs to be done at elevated temperatures. Right. The higher right. the temperature, the faster the process. Right. Got it. All right. So go ahead and tell, just just break it down. And again, very simply, well, obviously we're not going into details and I'm sure there's a lot of variations on this, but how's it done? What's the temperature? What's the atmosphere? What are the times? You know, general things like that. Uh, yeah, typically uh, it's, 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 it's done at above 1600 degrees F, which is the austenitic uh, temperature range, and more commonly done at 1650 to 1750 F, which is 900 to 950 C. Uh, In the old days, they put charcoal powder, which is a carbon, near the steel or maybe in a box, and they heated it. And that's how they got carbon, uh, uh, actually got carbon monoxide gas to form at high temperature and got it to go into the steel. Uh, 
So uh, this, uh, it, it, you know, this will actually, you know, crack the the, the charcoal and give you the gas. Uh, mm-hmm. It it's used. It, it is some people still use this, especially if they got some very big odd shapes, and it's the only way to do it. Uh, right. Somewhat done in other countries, but not as much here. Right. Um, so anyway, uh, there's also uh, obviously the gaseous form, which is called gas carburizing. Right. Uh, is done, and that is typically done uh, with with carbon monoxide gas, which is typically created from cracking natural gas or u- using a nitrogen methanol. So like for end- endothermic gas, it's it's basically about 40% nitrogen, 40% hydrogen, 20% CO. Right. And then what? in order to increase uh, the carbon content of that gas, people will inject a carbon-containing gas like propane or natural gas, uh, etc. cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, one other method that's still in use is is salt bath right uh, and it's also somewhat common and here they use a sodium cyanide mm-hmm. NaCN uh, so that's uh, basically uh, most every most most of it being done today with gas carburizing right right yeah and and as far as the actual steels being car materials I, I assume most of it's going to be your steels being carburized yes. Yes, okay. I mean virtually any steel or or alloy can be carburized to some extent. Right. Uh, it has if it has iron in it, uh, right. iron carbides will form. Okay. Uh, mostly less expensive steels uh, are are done. The so-called low carbon, low alloy steels mm-hmm. are are typically the ones that are most frequently carburized to get high surface hardness, and right. because they 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 kind of like the core properties that come with it. Right. 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 Okay, and the types of equipment you already hit on this some, but uh, obviously for uh, salt bath, which you mentioned, we're going to have a salt bath uh, piece of equipment to do it. Gas nitri, or excuse me, gas carburizing, obviously done just inside of an atmosphere furnace in in some capacity. I assume it can it be done continuous and and or batch. I assume. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the yeah. most popular is batch. Uh, the integral quench furnace, which is usually an in-and-out furnace, where you have uh, endothermic gas both in the uh, in the vestibule where you put it, where the uh, quench oil is, and then you go into the furnace. You do your hot uh, temperature carburizing in the uh, in the same gas, and then you come out hot and you're protected. And then you go into the uh, oil quench, and everything's within that atmosphere. That's the most common. But as you mentioned, continuous is 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 very viable. The only issue with continuous is um, it's pretty high production. And it's usually the same process over and over, and that way you can maximize the use the use of your quench. So because quenching might only be 20, 30 minutes tops, uh, whereas a carburizing uh, a cycle might be uh, 8, 10, 12 hours. So uh-huh. you're not using that quench very often. So continuous will allow you to use a, uh, a a quench much more frequently, and that quench might be, you know, fairly expensive. So that makes sense for yeah. doing the same parts over and over. Right. If you've got super high production, that would be the way to go. And it is probably notable to point out here that quenching is a important part of the carburizing process. This is not true with some of the other surface modification stuff we're going to talk about down the road, correct? Yeah, and 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 quenching, you know, if if 
uh, quenching is usually done right afterwards mm-hmm. uh, to save money and to make it economical. Uh, that's not to say that there aren't many people like in press quenching, they will actually carburize it, slow cool it, and then heat it up again, and then mm-hmm. individually uh, quench each part. Uh, okay. There's also some benefits to grain growth if you've got a very deep case in that carburizing that might cause some growth in your grains. And if you if you slow cool it and then heat it up quickly again and quench it, you'll you'll transform all that back to the properties that you want. But yes, typically all done together. Right. So is uh, can can we carburize using induction technology? Uh, I'm not familiar with carburizing. Uh, it's it, induction is typically heating yeah. the outer surface and Correct. cooling it very quickly and keeping that very hard, and and uh, uh, and then the core will still maintain its properties. Okay, right. so right. Uh, that's a thermal uh, surface engineering process induction, whereas carburizing. Uh, I had an uh, an engineering friend of mine, metallurgist expert, PhD, who calls it surface uh, engineering or 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 thermochemical. Uh, right. surface engineering because we're using both uh, a chemical process and a temperature process. Right, right, right. Okay, good. Anything else notable on carburizing before we move on to nitriding? Uh, the only thing is that all- alloying elements are, are common in steels, and I mentioned before low alloy steels and high alloy steels. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are certain alloying elements uh, that are less prone to absorbing carbon, and those are nickel, silicon, chromium, manganese, and molybdenum, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sorry, I, 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 let's go back, strike sure. that. Sure, sure, uh, no problem. No, I'm, alloying elements common in steels are nickel, silicon, chromium, manganese, and molyb- molybdenum. Right. Silicon and nickel are less prone to absorb carbon. Okay. Whereas, the carbon potential of the atmosphere is increased with elements like chromium, manganese, and molybdenum, which form more stable carbides than iron. Okay, okay. so alloying elements can adjust uh, the ability to carburize. Okay. Okay. Yep. Yep. Good. Good. Makes it more makes the metal more more susceptible to carburizing. So okay. Good. So that's the that's the basics on carburizing. Let's let's move on to let's move on to nitriding let's uh, if you can mark as we as we plow through this maybe draw a, a bit of a comparison uh on for example temperature yeah. ranges and maybe cycle times and materials and things of that sort so what about nitriding yeah yeah nitriding is a process where nitrogen atoms are diffused into the steel surface uh i, I believe that nitriding is more complex than carburizing because hardness and the types of nitrides created are dependent on a number of different factors. So depending on the process, either ammonia is used or an excited nitrogen atmosphere via a plasma generator can diffuse the nitrogen into the steel surface. Uh, what's common with uh, with uh, nitriding is it's done at a lower temperature. Uh, the diffusion of nitrogen is a time and temperature dependent process. So the higher you take the temperature, the faster the process will go. Uh, 
but it's still performed at much lower temperatures than carburizing. It's actually done in the ferritic range and not in, in the austenitic range. Uh, okay. So typically 915 degrees Fahrenheit up to just under 1100 degrees Fahrenheit, which is right. 490C to 590C. So you're talking 500 degrees, uh, roughly 500 degrees F. Uh, no, lower uh, temperature range. Yeah, 500 degree. Uh, probably, yeah, five to 600, five probably to 600, 600 degrees. degrees lower. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Than, right. than carburizing. Yeah. Okay. So that's the so that's the temperature range. Range. How about uh, how about process time? And obviously the atmosphere is different because we're we've got nitrogen as opposed to carbon. But how about process time? Yeah, you know, we talked about the the temperature. Obviously, if you're if you're at the higher end of that temperature, uh, you can go a little faster. But nitriding has been known to be slower than carburizing, and it is the diffusion process is, mm -hmm. is slower. Uh, you know, gas nitriding and, and plasma nitriding are the two main processes. There's also uh, furtic nitrocarburizing, which is a form of nitriding with salts. Uh, but gas nitriding uh, uses ammonia as a nitrogen donor, and plasma nitriding uses nitrogen, right, at a partial pressure with a plasma excited um, uh, atmosphere, all right? Mm -hmm. Uh, nitrogen creates iron nitrides in various forms in the white layer as either what we call an epsilon layer or a gamma prime layer. Uh, in some instances, people don't even want that layer. They only want the nitrogen to go into the steel and create nitrides with some of the alloying elements. And, and this is what we call the, the diffusion in, into, the, uh, into the alloy, into the steel, into the alpha. Right, right, okay. And what about case depths between carburizing and nitriding? I mean, if you want a deeper case depth, do you tend to go carburizing, or what's the, or is there a difference in the case depth actually? Well, it, it is much more possible to do a deep case depth in carburizing. You can basically right. keep sending it in there, and uh, and and if you can go a little bit higher temperature, you can get some pretty deep case depths with carburizing. Uh, the difference between uh, the nitriding is is it's, I mean, it's a different process, lower temperature process, so it's a little bit slower. Uh, but you get a pretty hard case uh, it, with the right alloy with the nitrided case. So in, in many instances, you can get a pretty similar performance of the part or or something that performs very well with maybe only one third of the case. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. And okay, then how about we talked about in the last, when we were talking carburizing, we talked about materials that were carburizable. <laughs> I'm sure that's a word, but how about in nitriding? What materials are most, are easiestly nitrided, and are there some that we really can't nitride? Yeah, uh, nitriding is kind of opposite from, from carburizing. And, you know, it, it, most people will uh, carburize the, the more low alloy or, or, or plain steels, whereas in nitriding, we really want to deal with alloy steels that have uh, alloys in it that will uh, be, be friendly to uh, absorbing nitrogen. Now, you can get on plain carbon steels, you can get the white layer on there, but you're basically limited to uh, just the white layer for your, uh, for your surface uh, engineering. You don't get much depth uh, depending upon what type of uh, uh, alloying elements you have. Mm -hmm. And Mark, let's talk talk just for a second about this white layer in non-technical terms, if you don't mind. Is it simply the 
Is it simply the accumulation of nitrogen above the surface, quote unquote, of the metal? I mean, what is that white layer? No, it actually reacts with the metals uh, in the surface layer. It's because the, the, the surface is being hit with a lot of nitrogen. So right. the reactions there will create uh, uh, what we call a white layer uh, where there's a lot of nitrogen activity. And, and those are, uh, uh, those are uh, iron nitrides, okay, of different. And they also will get some carbon that will react in there. And that's a very hard layer, somewhat brittle. Uh, it is resistant to corrosion. And it also has very low friction properties. So a lot of people uh, want that often, but there are also, when you're going with the higher alloyed steels, the, there are some applications where you don't want that, let's say bearing act, bearing uh, uh, type uh, races, mm -hmm. et cetera, where you don't want any small parts that could come off. So the white right. layer is prone to chipping or, or coming off. So right. you wouldn't want that in a, in a bearing because it, it, it's very hard and if it comes off, it can cause problems with your bearing. Okay, okay. And I assume with all the modern day uh, technology and whatnot, we're we're able to control that white layer and and or depth of nitriding layer th through you know through your process controls and things of that sort. Well, yeah, you know, nitriding's been around a long time, but one of the problems that they had was controlling the white layer, mm -hmm. and because they basically would would just uh, subject it to ammonia, and you 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 kind of got what you got. Then they learned right. that you diluted it. You could control it. Uh, then uh, that's with gas nitriding. Then then plasma nitriding came around, and plasma nitriding is a low nitriding potential process. So that what that means is it does not tend to want to create white layer as much. So it's much easier to control when the process itself is not prone to creating a lot of white layer, unlike gas. Now, in the last 15, 10 to 15 years, people have gotten really good at controlling Ammonia concentrations, they've really learned to understand that. One of the people who was instrumental in understanding that is the inventor of our um, zero flow control technology, Leszek Malzinski. Okay. Uh, understanding you know, how you change the, uh, the ammonia uh, nitriding potential to get the type of steel layers that you want. And it's, 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 it, it is rather complex, but once you understand it and have the tools, you can craft the layer exactly the way you want it with, with ammonia gas. Got it. When we return, Mark will get into the types of equipment that are necessary for nitriding. But first, let me tell you about high pressure heat treatment, leading the renaissance of hot isostatic pressing. It's a long name, but a short book. High pressure heat treatment, leading the renaissance of hot isostatic pressing. Quintus Technologies has partnered with Heat Treat Today to bring you this free ebook on hipping. Explore high-pressure heat treatment through the many facets and advances of hot isostatic pressing when you go to www.heattreattoday.com ebook. The outlook for hip technology has never been brighter, helped by technology shifts that are accelerated by recent global events. And, well, download high-pressure heat treatment leading the renaissance of hot isostatic pressing to find out more. Your copy is at www.heattreattoday.com slash ebook. Now, let's get back to the conversation where Mark covers various other types of hardening. And, and we did talk, you did talk about the types of equipment that can do nitriding, um, you know, it, but I'll tell you what, just hit on those again. Other types of equipments, I know there's just... Uh, 
Oh, the uh, yeah, I, I don't think we talked about the, uh, uh, the equipment. You know, gas nitriding is typically done in a retort to safely hold the ammonia. And once that becomes, uh, once the gases start dissociating, we also have hydrogen in there. So uh, exactly. also ammonia gas is uh, very noxious and, and can be deadly. So you need something tight to hold it. And that's why they will do it in a very tight retort. Plasma nitriding uh, is done under vacuum, partial pressure. So you can do that either in a, in a hot retort or a cold wall uh, vacuum type uh, furnace. Okay. Those are the two main processes. So if you had a, here's a, here's a question for you. If you had a similarly sized carburizing furnace and a nitriding furnace, would you expect that the nitriding furnace would cost more than the carburizing furnace or vice versa? Or, or is that I, I not even a fair question? the carburizing furnace is a little bit more expensive because you have the addition of the quench and you're also at fairly high temperature. Gotcha. Uh, so gotcha, those are right. two cost drivers. Uh, gotcha. Carburizing. Okay. Super, yeah. super. And this one's always been a little confusing for me. So let's see. <laughs> I want to see if you can straighten me out. So we talked about carburizing, we carb which is carbon. We talked about nitriding, which is nit not nitrogen. And now we go to something called carbonitriding, which sounds to me like the two are holding <laughs> hands and performing the performing the process. So what is it? Well, it can be confusing because here in the U.S. we call it carbonitriding and we call the form of nitriding that is uh, uh, FNC, fritic nitrocarburizing, we call it nitrocarburizing. In Europe, I've had them exchange, I've heard them exchange those names. But yeah. typically in the U.S. we call the high temperature process, which is similar to carburizing, we call carbonitriding. Okay. And the ferritic, the ferritic, which usually means the low temperature, not not austenitic, ferritic nitrocarburizing is a low temperature form of nitriding and adding carbon. So let's go to carbo uh, carbonitriding, which is the high temperature version. Um, it's it's typically done in low or unalloyed steels that have rather low hardenability. Uh, increasing the quench rate is rarely possible. So what we do is we add nitrogen and carbon to the surface to increase the surface hardness substantially. And it actually makes a very hard surface. Uh, again, this is what I, I usually say this is done for the cheaper steels, right? Okay. Okay. And because meaning the less less hardenable steels. Yeah, and it's and it's done in less alloyed steels too, you know, yes, because okay. we're just trying to get a thin, hard surface on the outside. Yeah, for whatever application it is. Okay, okay. And temperature range does it tend to be similar to the uh, carburizing up in the sixteen hundred range? Uh, it it is, but uh, because ammonia breaks down very rapidly at higher temperatures, we like to do this at the lower end of the austenitizing temperatures. So in the in the 16 to 1650 range, as opposed to the 17 to 1800 range of, uh, of gotcha. carburizing. Now that means that the carbon transport, the carbon diffusion into your into your steel surface will be slower. But we're, slower. what we're trying to do is we're trying to get both in there, the carbon and the nitrogen, to make that very hard, thin surface. And we're trying to do it quickly because uh, we want to do it cheaply. Right. Is that so? Is it kind of carbonitriding, kind of a, in, an inexpensive way, if if you can do it, inexpensive way of carburizing? That, that's so what speak. I typically look at it as. Yeah, yeah. you know, and okay. and 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 it's possible to do a lot of these parts. Whether let's say they're stampings or you know low low expense steels, um, 
You can sometimes do that also with uh, uh, furtic nitrocarburizing if you change the steel grade a little bit. But uh, there's a lot of different uh, ways of, of, of hardening uh, some of these small parts or clips or what have you. Uh, also very common in screws, um, roofing screws, etc., to get right. that hard that hard point on there. It doesn't need to be very thick. Uh, it only needs to be drilled into the roof one time, right? <laughs> so. Right, exactly. Yeah. One and done. Okay, so that's carbonitriding. Um, we talked about temperature ranges. We talked a bit about the steels that we would use for that. Equipment that is being used for carbonitriding, I assume it's it, it's more along the lines of the carburizing, or do we need... Uh, it's virtually can't... identical. Yeah, it's yeah, either okay. gas atmosphere, integral quench, batch furnace, or it can be done in continuous fashion. Uh, uh, the, a lot of people will use mesh belts for it, too. Right. And is, is so, you know, I, I neglected to ask you this back on nitriding. No quench involved there, correct? Yes, there is a quench in carbonitriding. No, 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 no. In nitriding. Not nitriding. Nitriding has no quench. Nitriding, no quench. But oh. carbonitriding, yes, you're quenching because you're basically, yes. it's a carb, it's a kind of a cheap man's carburizing. So, okay, that's good. Any Anything else we should know about carbonitriding? Anything else jump to mind? Uh, just that, you know, steels like 1018, 1022, you know, the, the low end, uh, there's other ones wow. obviously that can be done, but that's typically what's being used. Okay. All right. Super. All right. Let's go on to the second to last. We've got two more left. And this one is the, the kind of, we flip carbonitriding. We put the nitriding first now. Nitrocarburizing, or as it's commonly or is often referred to, FNC, ferritic nitrocarburizing let's talk about it right right and like and that's the key is ferritic so unlike carbonitriding uh which is often confused with ferritic nitrocarburizing fnc which makes it easier then you don't have those names uh is performed okay. at lower temperatures just like nitri nitriding uh and but it's typically done a little bit higher temperature than nitriding and it's done just below the initial austenite, austenitizing temperature, which is around uh, 570C, 1060F, just below 1100F, really, you can go to if your equipment is fairly uniform. Mm -hmm. And that's the reason they do that is because you're trying to create uh, infritic nitrocarburizing. Uh, you're trying to create white layer, and white layer will, will be much more uh, aggressively created at higher temperatures and also with higher levels of uh, of ammonia mm -hmm. okay and the and i okay so you, the temperature is the same cycle times obviously the atmosphere is predominantly nitrogen with a little bit of car carbon mixed in i assume yeah the nitrogen comes from the ammonia unless it's mm -hmm. a uh, unless it's an, a plasma type process uh, right. but let's talk gaseous uh fritic nitrocarburizing first uh, and then you can put a carbon gas in, and this could be an endogas to get CO. It mm -hmm. could be CO2 injected where the CO2 actually will convert to a CO gas. Uh, okay. and, and people have used other carbon gases, but those are the two most popular forms of carbon gas. And, and what that does is, again, because we have typically cheaper steels, they don't have a lot of carbon in the surface. So we want to have a little extra carbon there uh, to get that really hard uh, uh, and aggressive epsilon layer. Okay, the white layer, part of the white layer. Yeah. Yep. Okay, and then equipment to be used. Now, in nitriding, we were potentially using a vacuum furnace at times. Do we, do we use vacuum for FNC? 
Well, FNC, just like nitriding, uh, you don't need vacuum for our uh, vacuum or for our nitriding furnace. We use vacuum purge. Uh, and because the vessel, we want the vessel, the retort to be very tight, uh, making it a vacuum capable vessel means it's right. by definition tight because right. you don't want ammonia to leak out. Uh, but uh, for FNC, people have done this in any number of ways. Bell furnace, uh, tip-up furnace. Uh, they can, uh, uh, you know, they can do it in a. Uh, I've seen people use their uh, integral quench furnaces, the the heating chamber. All you have right. to do is get to that temperature just below 1100 F. Uh, get your ammonia in there and get some sort of carbon gas, and you're going to get uh, F. You're going to get a white layer. Yeah, you don't need to. I know with what we were talking about nitriding earlier, you mentioned that it was done mostly in a retort to contain the one, one reason to contain the ammonia, but you don't necessarily need that in the uh, FNC, or is it pretty common that you would use a retort furnace? Well, it's commonly done in a retort, commonly done in a pit furnace, uh, mm -hmm. but there are people that do it in tip-up furnaces. Like I said, there are people who do it in integral quench furnaces. People do it continuously. Right. Uh, you know, it it obviously when you have ammonia involved, a retort makes the uh, environment that you're standing there uh, much nicer because yeah. you can keep the uh, ammonia in the furnace as opposed to around you. Uh, yeah. You know, small <laughs> amounts ammonia can become uh, you know choking. So sure. Uh, I, I don't like other furnace designs because they're hard to seal. Yeah, yeah, right. All right, super. Anything else you think we should know regarding nitro carburizing? Uh, it's it can be done in plasma. Uh, okay. It's less common. They typically use uh, they typically use a, a carbon gas like methane or something uh, to put in there to try to promote some more white layer because, like I mentioned before. Uh, plasma process is typically not very white layer friendly, but if you put that carbon gas in there uh, and, and and increase the temperature, you can get some pretty decent uh, white layer with it in, in a plasma setting. Right, right. Okay. All right. So let's move on to the last one, uh, low pressure carburizing. Let's, let's talk about that. Uh, car uh, again, carburizing is the addition of carbon, right? So the, the difference here is that uh, when we talk low pressure, it's just like I mentioned before with, uh, with plasma uh, nitriding, it's done at a negative pressure, less than atmosphere. Uh, and we call this either low pressure carburizing or vacuum carburizing, it's the same process, okay? Uh, this takes place at pressures typically in the one to 15 torr range, which is about one to 20 millibar range of, of, of pressure. And if you know uh, one atmosphere is 760 torr, so when we're going down to one torr, one to 15, we're, we're, we're a pretty good vacuum. Mm -hmm. uh, just like with gas carburizing, the higher the temperature, the faster the process. Now, what's mm -hmm. unique with vacuum equipment is that vacuum equipment is typically capable of going to higher temperatures which adds to the speed of carburizing. Now, we didn't discuss the design of uh, gas carburizing furnaces that much, but typically they're gas-fired and they have radiant tubes. Mm -hmm. And the interior of the furnace, the higher temperature you go with a, with a really uh, nasty carburizing atmosphere, it reduces the life of those furnaces substantially. So people that own the furnaces don't want to go to high temperatures. So mm -hmm. uh, if you can go 100 degrees higher in temperature like you can with a vacuum carburizing furnace, the process gets much faster. Uh -huh. So uh, that means higher pro productivity, okay? Right, right, exactly. Uh, 
And one more feature as well, the initial carburizing of steel at low pressures is actually faster than gaseous carburizing. The, the carbon flux to the surface is very high in LPC, okay? Uh, the diffusion is the same because once you get into the steel itself, yeah. but the flux to the surface is very high. So uh, shorter, uh, less shallow or shallower cases are quick. And then, like I said, if you can increase the temperature to increase the diffusion into the steel, uh, you can really get the, you, on deep cases, you can get the cycle less than half. Mm-hmm. Okay, gotcha. Gotcha. So some substantial. How long has the LPC been around? Well, technically, it's been around since probably the late 60s. Uh -huh. uh, it had a very slow introduction in my mind. Uh, yeah. That's only because they had trouble really getting it to work reliably. Uh -huh. So that that's good. Anything else we should be asking? I assume the steels that can be carburized with LPC are essentially the same as as. Yeah, yeah, steels uh, steels are the same, uh, and and the temperatures. I mean, typically you want to go a little higher temperature than you would with gas carburizing, so typically above seventeen hundred F, and more more likely seventeen fifty F to eighteen eighteen fifty F. You know, and, and the the big difference is with gas carburizing. As I mentioned, we use endothermic gas, which comes from um, typically from natural gas and then with some enrichment. Here, the, the carbon carrier is typically acetylene, uh, and that's put in at, uh, at, uh, at, low, at negative, at low pressure. Gotcha, gotcha. And okay. the other thing is, is that, you know, in gas carburizing, they use oxygen probes and they try to figure out exactly what the carbon potential of the atmosphere is. Totally different with low pressure carburizing. With low pressure carburizing, because you can't really measure it uh, uh, reliably and accurately, we use process simulation software to, to create the recipes, all right? And by being able to model the surface area of the parts and the total weight of the parts, uh, the material, uh, the temperature and the case thickness that you want, the LPC process becomes very uh, reliable and can perform very well. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. All right. I will tell you, we've had conversations with folks over at uh, Dante Solutions, and they've, they say that this, this uh, LPC is one of the most uh, read items on, on their websites. Fig people trying to figure out how to do it and how to avoid, I guess it's the carbides and things of that sort. So it's a... Uh, Sounds like an interesting, interesting process. All right. Anything else we need to talk about on LPC? Oh, uh, I, I, I would, I would like to point out that most LPC has been done uh, in vacuum furnaces in the past with high pressure gas quenching, and you mentioned it's yes. been around a long time, and. What they found out with high pressure gas quenching is number one is you can't have a lot of parts uh, in the in the furnace, right? So you have smaller load sizes, right. and in order for the gases to quench, you have to have very high uh, pressure, uh, and then you also the parts can't be that thick. So uh, over time, it really hasn't taken off the way I think it should have, and some of the equipment was kind of problematic. Uh, there 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 was always done. Uh, vacuum and oil quenching, but when they combined, uh, and a few manufacturers do this, vacuum and oil quenching with LPC, uh, then the oil quenching allows you basically to use the same steels 
to get the quench rates and to start to get some heavier loads uh, in your in your furnace, okay, so that right. you can get the productivity. And and this has now driven uh, what I consider to be uh, a viable option to gas carburizing. For instance, with our Super IQ furnace, we use a conventional oil quench. It's no different than uh, the standard oil quench that that most people use in their integral quench furnace. Right. However, uh, the heating is done in LPC. The difference is instead of transferring the load uh, in vacuum, which is what a, 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 a conventional vacuum furnace will do, or transferring it in a uh, hydrogen, uh, hydrogen and uh, um, nitrogen atmosphere, you'll, we transfer it only in nitrogen. Right. And and we have found out that there is no added uh, IGO or any other problems with doing that. So it, what it right. ends up happening is you ha you can make a less expensive furnace, and you don't have to use uh, vacuum quench oils, which are a different breed. They're not as fast. They're more difficult to wash off and clean off. So uh, we think uh, that combination of LPC and standard oil quench makes a very high-performing furnace with LPC. So it puts LPC into a new interest level in my mind. But right. again, you still have to have very reliable simulation software, which you know we have over 10 years of experience on putting that software together, so it's very reliable. Right, right. All right, so that sounds good. So just so the listeners know, next time, this we're doing a, th a three-part series, right? So we're in number two right now. Next time, we are going to talk about uh, some of the more conceptual things uh, regarding nitriding LPC. We're going to even talk a little bit about single piece flow because a lot of times, you know, the, the uh, there, well, let's just say there's been a demand for single piece flow. Uh, we're going to talk about that a little bit and some of the recent ad advances in uh, some of these systems, which we've, we've hit on here just briefly. So stay tuned for that next time. Mark, I appreciate it. I think this time we've we've done a good job of covering carburizing, nitriding, carbonitriding, nitrocarburizing, and a little bit on LPC. Next time, we'll look forward to talking with you more about some of these other things. Thank you, Doug. I look forward to it. We hope you enjoyed today's Heat Treat Radio episode with Mark Hemseth on Harness 101 Part 2. Check out more technical episodes from Heat Treat Radio at Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, Podbean, or simply add www.heatreattoday.com slash radio. To learn more about today's guest, visit Mark's profile on www.secovacusa.com. You can also send an email to me, and I'll put you in touch with Mark. My email is bethany at heattreattoday.com. We're always interested in new Heat Treat Radio topics, so send me an email with what you find fascinating so that we can talk about it in a future Heat Treat Radio episode. Additionally, if you'd like to be a sponsor of a future episode, let me know and we'll be in touch. Again, my email is bethany at heattreattoday.com. This May, you can check out the all-new induction print issue. If you've been following the show, you know that induction is a whole different animal in heat treat. You can always sign up to be on the print distribution of these magazines, but head over to heattreattoday.com forward slash media to check out the technical content, columns, and more in this or any other magazine. Again, it's heattreattoday.com forward slash media. Heat Treat Radio would like to thank High Pressure Heat Treatment, leading the renaissance of hot isostatic pressing for supporting this episode. 
Get your free ebook from Quintus Technologies today at heatreattoday.com forward slash ebook. This and every other episode of Heat Treat Radio is the sole property of Heat Treat Today and may not be reproduced in part or in whole without advanced written permission from Heat Treat Today. Jonathan Lloyd, audio producer extraordinaire, created and mixed most of the music that you've heard today. Check out his professional work at jonathanlloydmusic.com. That's two L's, lloydmusic.com. Thank you, Jonathan. And I'm your host, Bethany Funk. Thank you for listening.